Well, please stand as I now read from the Word of God. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And this is a common passage that the Christ, Christ's covenant started on from day one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7 through 16. This is God's Word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives... And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body... Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Kindergarten through second graders, you are dismissed. In the back, please see Miss Carol for Children's Church. As I was looking at this text... The question I had was, what are signs of a mature church? And as you think about maturity, there are certain signs of what makes a person mature. Most of the time when we think of maturity, we think of someone who grew up in their parents' home and they leave their parents' home and they, they buy a house and they start a career, they may start a family. That's what maturity is. Some of us would say maturity happens when you put away childish things and you, and, you, and you begin to adult. There's even this term out there called adulting. When you start adulting is when you become mature. I would argue that a true sign of maturity is balding. A lot of you, when I saw you this morning, you looked at me and you said, what did you do to your hair? Well, frankly, I'm bald. (laughs) And that's okay. A lot of men like me, we wait till the last minute to shave our heads. And we do so because balding tends to be a sign of our mortality and of age. One of you this week told me, you said, man, Seth, getting older really stinks, doesn't it? But what I would say... In light of all that, I would say balding actually is a sign of maturity. My wife told me, Seth, you are more attractive and you're more masculine now that you've lost your hair. (laughs) She really didn't say that. I told her I was going to say that. But anyway, (laughs) I have learned to embrace my baldness because it is reality and it's a good reality because it is a sign of maturity. No, in all seriousness, what are the signs of maturity? What are the signs of a healthy, mature church? 
And Paul gives us three signs to consider and to think about when it comes to maturing a church. The first sign is when people learn to embrace the gifts of Jesus. The second sign of a mature church is when people, they learn to embrace the truth of Jesus. And the third sign is when people learn to embrace the call of Jesus on their lives. The first sign of maturity in a church, of a mature, healthy church, is when people embrace the gifts of Jesus. In verse 7, Paul begins by saying, but grace was given to each one of us. There are three distinct gifts that Jesus gives his people. He gives us saving grace, he gives us enabling grace, and then he gives us the gift of spiritual leadership. The first gift that Paul mentioned here in this verse is that Jesus has given us as believers the gift of saving grace, the gift of our salvation. It is only by the grace of God that we have been saved. It's only by his grace that we can have eternal life in heaven and we can have that hope and that longing for eternal life. Christianity is not about what we do for God. It's about what he does for us. And my question to you, and it might be a little convicting, but my question to you is, when is the last time you thanked Jesus for dying for you? When is the last time that you embraced your eternal salvation? I'll be frank with you. Until this week, it's been months since I've really reflected and pondered my salvation other than when we took communion last i would encourage you don't let a month go by without thanking jesus for saving you from hell and saving you from utter death and distinction thank the lord for that but paul he wasn't just focusing on our saving grace and our eternal life and the gift of eternal life he he mainly was focusing on the spiritual gifts that Jesus gives us. And as he went on in verse 7, he said, but by the grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The word grace here is really referring to the ability to perform the task that Christ has set out for us. And the point of this verse is that each one of us has received this enabling grace from Jesus in the exact proportion that he gave it. He gives each one of us spiritual gifts according to how he sees fit. That's what it means according to his measure, how he sees fit. Last week, Martin talked about how the beginning of Ephesians 4 was focusing on the unity of the church and how we are all united with Christ. This week, Paul goes on to talk about how we are all made differently and we are designed differently. And we are called to use our gifts that are different for one another to help strengthen and build the church and to help it grow into maturity. Instead of comparing our gifts and our talents with others, we need to learn to embrace the gifts that God has uniquely given us. Because here's the thing, you wouldn't want pastors and elders simply doing everything in the church. The whole, for the church to operate at its best and its fullest potential, every single one of you, every single one of us has to play a part and play our role. 
Billy Graham, he, he said it this way, when, when he began his crusades back in the day, he ended up taking a detour and he, he ended up teaching a history lesson uh, to a college. And it was really boring. <laughs> and the students were falling asleep and they, he just wasn't connecting with the students because it was very dull. And after he gave that lecture, he had a, a friend come up to him and said, Billy, I want you to never neglect your gift of evangelism. And he said, because you're really a poor history teacher. <laughs> when Billy heard that, he took the call and he ran with it. He said, you know what? He's right. I am gifted in telling people about Jesus. I'm gifted in telling people and proclaiming the truth about him. I'm not a gifted historian and that's okay. And I don't think he ever taught a history class after that moment. But he embraced his gift and he realized he couldn't be everything. He couldn't do everything. But he knew God had gifted him to be an evangelist. And look what happened. Unfortunately though, as the church begins to grow and as people begin to develop, they end up becoming complacent and they end up becoming arrogant. It's easy for us, Christ Covenant. We've been around for 26 years. Most of you know your spiritual gifts because every time I lead a new members class, we take all of our new members through a spiritual gift assessment. And then I meet with each one of you individually, and I go through the results of that test, and then I pair you up with one of our staff members to get you involved in a ministry that will best suit and fit your gifting. Jim Barnes started that day one 26 years ago. I've continued that on, that tradition on. And I believe because we've done that for 26 years, we have seen success in this church. We've, we have seen people who are growing spiritually and who are, 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 are growing in maturity. The problem and the danger of that, though, is that we begin to believe that it's because of our gifts and because of our effort and our work. That's why we've seen success is because we've learned our gifts and we've, we've done what God told us to do. And so after all, look what we've done. Paul is saying here in verses 8 through 11, it's nothing that you have done that causes you to be mature. It's all by the grace of God working through you. It's all by the enabling power of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, ultimately, you receive this enabling power from the triumphant, risen King Jesus. Not by your own efforts and by your will. It's only by his will and how he measures things. And it's according to his will and his purpose. That's what verses 8 through 11 are all about. And it seems a little confusing on the first reading of it. But hear me out. This is what Paul said. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers gifts, ultimately, to equip the saints. What, what Paul is saying here is, don't forget the origin of who gave you the gift, of how you got these spiritual gifts and talents and abilities. You, you were given these gifts from a triumphant, risen king. When Paul wrote these words, he was referring back to Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, it describes Almighty God who leads his people into victory. And Almighty God is looking from Mount Sinai and he's looking up to Mount Zion and he's saying, 
we're going to ascend on the Mount Zion, into Mount Zion, and we're going to ascend in victory. And he takes his captives with him. That language Paul uses because he's describing a Jesus who left heaven and descended to the lower, lower, lower earth. He even went low enough to where he died and was buried. And then he rose again from the grave. And he now ascended into heaven. And he's ruling and reigning on our behalf in power. And as he went into heaven, what he did was the Holy Spirit, he distributed the Holy Spirit ultimately. The Holy Spirit has gone throughout the nations and he's giving his people gifts to help mature, edify, build, and grow the church. 1 Corinthians 12, it, described it, this, it describes it this way. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The point I want you to get here is when you embrace your spiritual gift and you begin to use your gifts for the glory of God and for the strengthening of the church, don't get cocky. (laughs) Don't become arrogant when you see success. Because at the end of the day, where did you get that gift from? Who did you get that gift from? A triumphant, risen Jesus who is now ruling and reigning on our behalf in heaven. So for us to be a mature church, we have to embrace the gifts of Jesus. First, we have to embrace the saving grace of Jesus, the gift of salvation. Second, we have to embrace the enabling grace of Jesus, our spiritual gifts and talents. But the third thing we must embrace, the third gift we must embrace, is spiritual leadership. And I'm so glad you got to participate in what we just did with with our officers, our newly ordained and installed officers. What we just did was a gift for the church. You may not view it that way, but you have representative leaders who pray for you, who shepherd you, who care for you, who vote on your behalf in meetings. These are people that you entrust to represent you, to lead you, and it's a gift. And Paul went on to describe who these spiritual leaders are in the church. He first went on to say there were apostles and prophets Now, the apostles and prophets, they were officers in the church that were designed for the foundation of the church, for the early church period. The apostle was a person who was sent by God to be a messenger for God, and the apostle was with Jesus or affiliated with Jesus in that day, and he was given incredible gifts, supernatural gifts, gifts of miracles and healing, and gifts of even prophecy and teaching. A prophet in those days was given a gift to foretell the future, to proclaim a future judgment of God upon a people or a future blessing of God upon a people. Both those officers were solely designed for the New Testament era and they were designed to help establish the church. Since the early church got up and running and off the ground, we now have officers of elder, deacon. We have officers of evangelists, for example. Not officers, but they're, they're evangelists out there to help build and strengthen the church. An evangelist is someone who is able to proclaim the truth. They're able to speak the truth in love. They're able to talk to whoever, whenever about Jesus. They just have that gift. A pastor teacher or a shepherd teacher is an elder. An elder who is called to shepherd over the flock, to care for the souls of the church, to pray over them, to counsel them, to comfort them, 
to guide them. God has blessed his church throughout the ages with spiritual leadership. And if you're an elder and deacon in this room, don't take your your position lightly. Know that it's not only a gift from God, but it's a high calling from God to lead his people well and to lead a church into maturity. So do you want to be a mature church? I know I do. And the way to be a mature church is to embrace the gifts that Jesus gives us. But the second sign of a mature church is that a mature church happens when people embrace the truth of Jesus. As Paul went on to describe in verse 13, he said, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a couple things that Paul mentions here about what we are to embrace. He's saying we've got to embrace the truth of Jesus. And the first thing we need to embrace about the truth of Jesus is we need, we need to attain to the unity of the faith. What is the unity of the faith? The unity of the faith are the core essentials of the Christian doctrine. They are the non-negotiables. They are the statements of faith that unite Christians all over the world and throughout the ages. These essentials of the faith would be, for example, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is God. There is a trinity. There is a literal heaven and hell. There is the word of God. That is the absolute word of God. That is trustworthy and true. An essential of the faith is there, there was the virgin birth. There, there was the resurrection. There was the ascension. All of those statements I just mentioned unifies Christians. It unites us together with one voice. The problem in Paul's day and the problem of our day is that many people within the church are not mature. And when they hear false teaching, they buy into it and they're led astray. That's why he described in verse 14, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's saying many people are being tossed to and fro and back and forth when they hear false teaching and they aren't able to decipher between good teaching and bad teaching because they lack depth and they forgot the essentials of the faith. And they begin to question the essentials of the faith. Last week, I got to go to Myrtle Beach with my family. And it's, it's been the first time we've been to the beach in five years, believe it or not. We're going to try to make it an annual vacation now. But some of our kids had never been to the beach. And we went to the sand and to the ocean, and their eyes were just wide open. And they run out into the water and... <laughs> It was really kind of funny and scary at the same time when they go out into the ocean because the waves are just pounding them back and forth and they're falling down. And of course, Steffi and I are always in the ocean with them to make sure they're okay. But over time, within 10, 15 minutes, they would be drifted about 50 yards from us. And we'd say, hey, come back. And we had to say that constantly twice an hour. Come back, come back to us. 
That was a visual picture of this passage that I saw last week. And that many people in the church were like my kids at Myrtle Beach where the waves were just tossing them back and forth. Many people are being tossed back and forth and they aren't able to to decipher between good truth and bad truth. And you know what's happening in many churches today? Many people in the church today are questioning the essentials of the faith. No wonder we've had so many denominational splits in the history of America. It's tragic when denominations split. Most of the time they split because people within the churches are questioning the core doctrines. We have standards as Christians. They're non-negotiables, and we don't need to compromise those standards. Jesus is clear here from the words of Paul. He's saying, attain to unity of the faith. The second thing that Paul mentioned is we don't just want to agree on the essentials and unify in the core doctrines, but we also need to have knowledge of the Son of God. We need to grow in our knowledge and wisdom of who Jesus is. We need to love Jesus. We need to fall in love with Jesus every day. At the end of the day, do you know why you and I are here today? It's because of Jesus. It's because we've been changed by Jesus. It's because we've committed our lives to following him. It's because we love Jesus. We love him for who he is, what he does, what he's doing for us now. My question to you this morning, and it might be a little convicting, is when have you thought about Jesus? When's the last time you really thought about him? When's the last time you really thanked him for who he is? When's the last time you poured into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just studied and learned about who Jesus is? When's the last time you prayed to him and actually talked to him and sat at his feet? Christianity means we're little Christs. Jesus is what separates Christians from the rest of the world and from the other religions out there. He's it. And so for a church to grow in maturity... We have to fall in love with Jesus. We've got to grow in our knowledge of who he is. And if you're in kind of a tough spot right now spiritually, you know what I encourage you to do today, starting today? Just go back to Matthew. Just start reading Matthew. Then go into Mark and Luke and John and learn about our almighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Let him change your life as he has done before. To embrace the truth, we must agree on the essentials and unite in unity of the faith. We must also grow in our knowledge. And then Paul went on to say a third thing. As we mature in manhood and womanhood, we also mature to the measure of the fullness of Christ. What's he talking about here? He's talking about how as we grow in our faith and as we grow as Christians, we become more like Jesus. It's really a result of our love for him. As you love Jesus, you become more like him. A lot of you here are married in this room, and do you know what the the purpose of marriage is? The purpose of marriage is to help your spouse become more like Christ, the purpose of Christian marriage. The essence of marriage is friendship. The purpose of marriage is to help your spouse become more like Christ. I would also say the purpose of the church, similar to marriage, is for us as members of this Christ covenant family to help each other become more like Christ. At the end of the day, as Christians, that's our purpose. That's why we're here. We want to be little Christ, and so we need to become more like him. And the way we become more like him is we repent of our sins, we cling to him, and we sit at his feet. 
and we love him. Do you want to be a mature church? I know I do. I want Christ's covenant to be a mature, healthy church. And in order for us to do that, we've got to embrace the gifts of Jesus, and we've got to embrace the truth of Jesus and aspire to become more like him so that we will no longer be tossed to and fro by false teaching. The third sign of a mature church is when people begin to embrace the call of Jesus. This is where verse 15 and 16 comes in. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first call that we as Christians need to embrace is we need to embrace the call to learn to speak the truth in love. This is very difficult for us to do, especially in our divisive times in America. Because let me ask you this question. When was the last time someone you knew, whether it was a family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone on social media, when was the last time someone said something that you disagreed with that really didn't sound right? And what did you do? How did you respond? Usually, when we hear something that isn't correct, that isn't right, we respond one of two ways. The first way we respond, often, is arrogantly. And we say, well, gosh, you were wrong. And we start going back and forth. And we start debating. We start getting angry. And, and we start teaching them the truth. Because we got to set those people straight. That's not what Paul is saying for us to do. He's saying, speak the truth in love. On the other side of things, though, whenever we hear something that isn't right, we oftentimes say nothing at all. And we remain silent. Because it's awkward to confront somebody. Let's just be honest, it's really awkward. And we don't want to hurt their feelings. And we don't want to jeopardize that friendship that we may have. I would argue most of us tend to do option two whenever we hear something that isn't right. We tend to just not address it at all and we let it go. But what does Paul tell us to do here? He says, don't remain silent when you hear something that's wrong. But rather, speak the truth in love. When I became senior pastor here four years ago, I said, our motto that I want to beat into our heads is that we are to be a people who are uncompromising in truth and unwavering in love. The word uncompromising means resolute. It means strong. It means steady. It means consistent. It means we don't compromise the truth. The word unwavering means constant, abiding, loving. Unwavering means we constantly follow up with our non-believing friends we're intentional we love them we speak the truth in a gentle loving not harmful way but the problem is it's very difficult to do those two things and i like what john stott said about this he said truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth paul calls us to hold the two together in this verse did you get that? Truth will be hard if it's not softened by love. 
But love will be really soft and weak if it is not strengthened by truth. Uncompromising in truth, unwavering in love. Do you want to be a mature church? I want us to be. And the way to maturity are those two things. Be uncompromising in truth, be unwavering in love. The last thing Paul mentioned here in these verses is that for us to be a mature church and for any church to be maturity uh, to be mature is we are to embrace the call that Jesus has given us to use our spiritual gifts. We aren't just to know our spiritual gifts, we're to use them. He said, "From whom the whole body Christ, who's the head, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly." makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul goes back to this point of spiritual gifts and he's saying, don't just know your spiritual gifts and embrace them, but use them for the building up of the church. I love how he describes the church as a body. And he says Jesus is the head of the body in that he is the authoritative, the authority of the church. He's in charge of the church. And we are the members, the faculties, the organs of the body to help the body function properly. The church can't do it with just a few men. The church needs everybody. We at Christ's Covenant need all of you to participate. We need all of you to know your gifts and to use your gifts. And I'm excited because in the fall, August 22nd, we will have our annual State of the Church Vision Sunday. And on that day, I'm going to give us a number of ways that that you can serve not only this church, but our local community and our world. We want to equip you so that you can help do the work of this church. Because if one body part is missing, it kind of messes with the other body parts. You need all the body parts to to keep going in order to, to strengthen a body. We need all of you to accept and embrace the call that God has for you to use your gifts to build this church. It takes a church, after all. There was a a quote from Howard Hendricks, and Howard Hendricks said that uh, it's similar to you being at a football game, and there's 80,000 plus stands out there who are spectators, and they are all in need of exercise, and there's 22 people on the field that are in need of a break. The elders and the pastors and the staff can't do everything. You wouldn't want us to do everything. And sometimes we need breaks. I had one last week and I'm thankful for it. At the end of the day, we need all of you to play a part in this church. And we need you to embrace it. You know, going back to my earlier example, for two years I've, I've tried to, in some ways, cover up the baldness. And some people will get hair transplants and Rogaine and toupees even, wear hats. I've chosen not to do any of those things. But instead, I've chosen to embrace the baldness. In the same way, I encourage you to embrace the gifts of Jesus, to embrace the truth of Jesus, and to embrace the call of Jesus.